Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, patron of the arts. Are you a patron? Or are you really just like, you're the guy who benefits from the patrons? Lover of the arts? Lover of the <laughs> Supporter of sure, the arts? Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. We patronize some arts sometimes. Yeah. yeah. At least we... uh you know, we get the word out about arts, but you can't yes. call yourself the getting the word out or about or arts. That's a, I mean, you could, but that's a uh, mouthful there. Nah, uh, stick with patron. Yeah. So in this season of Awesome Movie Year, we're taking a look at the films of 2007. And this is our Sundance episode, but we had kind of, we called an audible, I guess. That's a sports term. I'm not good with the sports That was terms. good. You yeah. used it. It was like we were going to do one thing and then we ended up doing another, hence an audible. All right. Uh, yeah. Josh, you're a hero for all nerds like, like <laughs> Thank me. Thank you. <laughs> Basically, what you're saying is well, we our plan was to watch the grand, to re to talk about the grand jury winner of Sundance from this year. Yes. Padre Nuestro slash Sangre de Mi Sangre. Yes. Whatever you want to call it. We watched it on a lazy weekend afternoon together <laughs> on my perfect, couch. Perfect movie for a lazy weekend <laughs> for two afternoon. Pals, yeah. Just hanging on the couch. And uh, we both, not only one did not like the movie, which is fine. Like if we didn't like it. Sure. We, we just talked about movies we don't like. Before. Yeah. We just didn't think there was enough there. To give you, our listeners, that meat, that good, good, you know, all the stuff that you come for for Awesome Movie Year. So what we're doing is a different movie from the 2007 Sundance Film Festival, one that uh, we both like and I personally love. Yeah, uh, I like this movie a lot, too. It is uh, also an award winner from Sundance. It was the World Cinema Audience Award winner, and it's John Carney's Once which is, yeah, I like it. Uh, maybe not as much as you. I feel like you have a, a strong personal uh, affinity for this movie, maybe that, that we don't share, but uh, I like this movie a lot. And uh, we're going to have a special guest later to talk about it with us as well. Yeah, so our special guest is someone we both know for over 20 years, our high school compadre, Megan Reardon, um, who has gone on to a very successful live stage acting career. And she starred in Dublin in the theatrical production of Once for an extended run. And she's toured around the world with it, at least when I say around the world, at least to one other country, Seoul, well, South Korea. So. That, that counts as the world. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's really cool. We'll talk to Megan in a little bit about her connection to Once. Uh, but first, we can take a little look back at Once. Uh, as, as we said, it, is, uh, it was a Sundance premiere at the 2007 festival where it won the World Cinema Audience Award. Um, it was uh, released, it made $23.3 million at the box office on a budget of $150,000. So that's Amazing. insane. Amazing. Yes, <laughs> Amazing. And uh, John Carney had to use um, some of his own money to get this thing produced. It was through different iterations, like uh, uh, Killian Murphy. Is that a kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's had starred in a previous uh, John Carney movie was originally set to star. Right. This. And once he dropped out, then so did most of the money. So it was mostly Irish film board money and then some of Carney's personal money that he uh, offered uh, to pay the salaries for to his lead actors. And uh, it worked out for them all. You yes. Know, they all yes. get back in profits. On that. I hope they do because they, they deserve it. Uh, yeah, it was a movie. I think they, they ended up shooting a lot of stuff without permits. And I mean, typical indie movie things, but to make a movie like that and then to go on to 
this massive acclaim and to make that much money. I mean, 23 million for a movie on that kind of budget is just astonishing. Yeah. I think uh, when you watch the movie, that's part of its charm is that naturalistic feel that you're watching something as it happens, that you're not necessarily watching a movie, but you're there almost uh, watching these events unfold live. Right. It's got a very documentary like feel. And that comes from the way that they had to shoot it. Um, it won a friggin' Oscar. I mean, from, from, but I mean, you know, from coming from that origin, not only making that money, but to end up at the Oscars, it won the best original song Oscar for Falling Slowly, which was written by Glenn Hansard and Marketa Erglova, the stars of the movie who also wrote, I think, all of the music in the film. Right, they did, and they had already been performing together as the swell season. Carney was actually in uh, Hansard's band back in the day. Yeah, the frames. frames. Yeah, right. So, th- so um, this song was actually out before, but and there was a big controversy about it. Like, oh, is it really an original? And uh, the Academy was all like, "Yeah, and we never heard of it." So, uh, it's it counts, <laughs> which is interesting <laughs> because usually it happens the other way, and there have been so many instances where on some ridiculous technicality uh, songs or scores are not able to be nominated because some element, I think Johnny Greenwood has had that before. If he like incorporates some small element of some existing composition, his whole score is ineligible to be nominated. So they got lucky with that. I think, I think it's by this point in time, it had developed such a groundswell of support, a groundswell season of support. Sure. So, um, that it was almost impossible. This was the feel-good story of the movies of that year. Maybe this in Juno, I'd say. So yeah, that I I could totally see the Academy being like, we we want them there. We want them to perform. You know, show that anyone from anywhere can be an Oscar contender or, or win an Oscar. Right. Yeah. Although that that usually doesn't stop them from screwing people over just because there's popular sentiment in favor. I'm going to give them credit this one time. All, all right. right. Fair enough. You can be generous to the Academy. Jason, I know that you're a uh, you're a big crier at movies, as am I sometimes. Uh, did you cry when they won the Oscar? Because I know I sure shit did. I, you know why I didn't? And Josh is going to ask about this because uh, I hadn't seen the film at that point in time. Uh, what? Oh, my yeah, God. But um. But uh, upon rewatching, I might have shed a tear or two recently (laughs) for prepping for this podcast. Um, It also won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Foreign Film, which is kind of interesting. I guess it didn't need to be in a foreign language uh, in order to win that award. Um, So you didn't see it until after it won the Oscar? No, I didn't even see it in the theaters or anything. I know you did, and you told me about it. Oh, yeah? Okay. So... um, Brief history, went to Ireland in 2013 with my brother. As if you listen to Dave's podcast, Piecing It Together, we did an episode on Blinded by the Light. I mentioned how we went to follow Springsteen around there in Ireland. I kind of fell in love with Ireland. And uh, since that time, I've been toying with my own idea about shooting a movie there, which I still should actually do. Yeah, you should. But uh, I've also, you know, since that time, I've really kind of fallen in love with a lot of Irish movies. So I actually hadn't seen this until after that trip. Until like 2013? Yeah. And wow. probably even later, you know. And uh, Had you listened to the soundtrack? I mean, I knew the big song. You knew you the know, song. And I yeah. knew, uh, obviously, Hansard's love for the boss. So, you know. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was like discovering like, you know, it's like one of those things. Like, I remember once uh, I took my old roommate uh, uh, to a restaurant out here that I'd been him that we should go to for a year that i loved and then when we went it was so good he he looked at me and he's like 
I should have listened to you a year ago. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how I felt with once. Like, why did I wait so long to watch this right. brilliant film? Yeah, so. no, that's funny because I feel like my impression has always been, oh, Jason loves this movie. And I just assumed you must have seen it when it was because it was a huge sensation when it came out. I do love this movie, and uh, I guess I caught it on a different wave than everybody right. else. No, would. that's what that's about funny. you? You saw it? Did you know much going into it? Well, or? yeah, I did because um, I did see it when it was out in theaters. But even by that point, by the time it got to theaters here in Las Vegas, it was already such a big deal. I mean, it had played in Sun at Sundance in January and had won that award, and it had been at other festivals and had been building this acclaim. And I feel like anytime you have a movie like this where it was made on such a tiny budget and then it becomes this massive pop culture sensation, it's just, you you constantly hear about it. So yeah, I remember, I mean, I was working as a, as a film critic at the time, and this movie, I'm, I can't remember who the distributor is, but they did not have a press screening here in Las Vegas. But it did open in theaters, and I remember you know buying a ticket and going to see it. Um, and, and liking it, although I think it was one of those movies that because it had been so heavily hyped, I'd been hearing about it for months that maybe I was a little let down just because it wasn't the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Uh, but I do like it a lot and revisiting it again this time, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, it is tough when you get those expectations that you have, you know, nothing to do with, right. That they're already kind of, uh, tidal waved you with and whatnot, but um, you know, it made it made uh, one of was on a lot of top ten lists by the end of the year, yes, right? Yes, a lot of number ones. Yes, um, yeah, and actually, uh, that's a perfect segue into talking about some of the reviews because we can start with. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we get this well-oiled machine here. Uh, we can start with Michael Phillips in the Chicago Tribune, who did in fact name it the best movie of 2007, and was filling in for Roger Ebert on TV at the time. Uh, so got to talk about it on there. He says, uh, the Irish musical romance once is so beguiling, I didn't realize until after a second viewing how infernally corny writer-director John Carney's film might have turned out in lesser hands. It's a very small piece working in a deceptively casual storytelling style, but it's my favorite music film since Stop Making Sense, and it's more emotionally satisfying than any of the Broadway to Hollywood adaptations made in the last 20 years. Man, that's a good... Uh... Nice little review there. Uh, <laughs> I kind of agree in that that idea of like we talked about it. It's so uh, natural that like, um, and it is such a just a, it is a small story, right? Right. But it's so kinetic the way yeah. that it, it's done that I do think that you, at least me, I resonated more with that than any of those big Broadway two uh, film adaptations. Yeah, certainly on an emotional level, I think. I mean, I've liked some of those big Broadway. I can't remember Me what too. year uh, Dreamgirls came out, but I remember really liking that movie a lot. I think it was, if not the same year, uh, similar year, because once it lost the Grammy nod, it lost one of the Grammys to uh, the song from Dreamgirls. Yeah, the... Dreamgirls was 2006. Right. Oh, okay, yeah. So like, they were both up for, you know, Love You. Like, Dreamgirls was the no, 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 no song. Oh, please stop. I'm going to start singing we, the West. We, we, completely the wrong register. <laughs> we <laughs> promise no more singing in this episode from Jason. No, that's stop. the one song. No, anyway, uh, yeah, no, it did lose um, a Grammy to um, uh, da, 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 da. to Dream Girls. Yeah, to yeah. the one that famous song there. Yeah, Dreamgirls. is it? I'm I tell you, soundtrack, I'm not going. I think. Yeah, because the, uh, they no. had an. An original song in Dreamgirls. That's what they always do with those Broadway ones. So so now I have it clear. Okay. They lost a Grammy to love the Beatles song for best soundtrack. Okay. Of like a 
amalgamation of anything that's a soundtrack. Right, right. right. For the Cirque du Soleil show. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. And then it lost, Falling Slowly lost to Love You, I Do uh, for song from a movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I not to get off on a Dreamgirls tangent, but um, I do like some of those Broadway to film adaptations, but I do think that this there's a lot more authentic emotion in this Yeah, film. I mean, look, I love Moulin Rouge, which is not a Broadway Ugh. show first, but uh, it was uh, spectacular. And, uh, you know, but this one definitely hits you in all the feels on a much more core level. Yes, and I hate Moulin Rouge. Um, <laughs> let's see what Ella Taylor from LA Weekly has to say. Uh, like the memories we have, if we're lucky, of formative interludes in which a love affair never fully gelled but expanded our vision of what we might do with our lives, once feels handmade in the best sense. An impressionistic feast for the senses cobbled together from lovely grace notes and a warm palette of reds and yellows. Exhausted session players toss a frisbee on an early morning beach washed in silvery grays and blues. The girl leaves her drab home in pajamas and bunny slippers to walk the streets of nighttime Dublin with a CD player clamped to her ear, singing along to her friend's plaintive tunes. The guy lolls on his bed, replaying fragmentary images of his lost love. The only symmetry in their lives is a thwarted need to be heard. That's a good review also. And uh, I, you know, those were some of the more memorable images from the film, right? Yeah. Where she's walking in with her slippers trying to work on uh, a song and she needs new batteries or whatnot. Right. You know? Yeah. And uh, he's working on a song about a heartbreak, heartbreak looking at uh, old videos of his ex-girlfriend, who is actually Carney's real girlfriend. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, and then, you know, they finally, um, through the demo, they, they kind of uh, impress the engineer and they all go out after a hard working all nighter and listen to what they've recorded and throw a frisbee on the beach. And it's like almost finally a moment where they can relax and celebrate for just a minute. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of nice kind of home movie ish almost moments. Um, yeah. I was like coming into watching this again. I was thinking about like, I remembered there was a lot of music and I remembered it was kind of a romance, but I was thinking like, what is the plot of this movie? And then watching it, I was like, well, there's there's very little of it, but that's kind of what's nice about it. It's just getting a glimpse into these people's lives and their their emotional states. It's pretty much like, hey, we meet, we have common interests, let's do a thing, then we do a thing. <laughs> Thank you for that summary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> lastly, uh, Amy Simmons in Time Out London said, uh, John Carney's poignant modern-day love story set on the streets of Dublin offers a brooding alternative to the traditional conventions of the musical. Carney settles in for long, intimate shots of the pair whose songs articulate more about the characters than any monologue could. Too shrewd for idealistic closure, the film's stiff dose of postmodern angst thwarts numerous romanticized perceptions of love, sex, and conjugal possibility. Besides, the guy's too old for the girl and still infatuated with his ex, and she has a child and an estranged husband back in the Czech Republic. I was thinking about that when I was researching after watching this. If this movie was made today, would it have the same love? Because, you know, at the time, Hansard's, uh, Hansard's 37. Yeah. She's 19. Or right. she's 17 when they shot the movie, I yeah. think, right? And at, there's a quote, because they did get together as a romantic couple afterwards. And, you know, there's a quote from Hansard that said, like, of course, we got together. You know, I had been falling in love with her for a long time. And this was the next step. He'd known her since she was 13. So, right. like, you know, uh, that I, don't, I think if he had said that today in today's era, they'd be like, 
let's uh let's maybe not uh let's put that with the kevin spacey movies or something like that so yeah maybe i mean there's no there's never been any indication of any kind of coercion or anything like that in their relationship but um but yeah that does give you pause and i think it's interesting to me because watching the movie you can tell at least for me you can tell that they're not the same age but to me she doesn't look quite as young as she yeah, really was she's more mature than him in a lot of ways she's well, got right. a baby yeah. and you know a husband and uh, also, let's just say there are plenty of love affairs that have gone on with people of different ages, and we're for that as long as it's uh, on the up and up. Yeah, that's. I mean, there's no indication again that there was anything uh, shady going on. The other thing the is, co-stars always, you know, co-stars, yeah, you know, Musician. musical duets. Yeah, Simon and Garfunkel were uh, for an <laughs> oh, item man. for Hot years. And heavy. Yeah, Hall and Oates. Okay. You know. I want to see those movies. Yeah. <laughs> I bet those movies, they, those fan fictions exist. I guarantee you that exists. Um, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Any other background info you wanted to share, Jason? Um, well, one thing that I thought um, was interesting was you were kind of talking about how some of the busking scenes were filmed, some of the street performing scenes were filmed, which were long lenses. So a lot of the time, the people who were in the scenes other than Glenn Hasnard and, um, you know, uh, pronounce Mar Marquetta Erglova. Mar Marquetta Erglova. I can't, you know, the names. Yeah, you're not good with pronunciation of words sometimes. Words are tough. <laughs> I uh, Don't get me started on math. That's yeah. a particularly hard word. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's no, but a lot. What I, was I probably pronounced it wrong, too. Well, I would rather you do that. Oh, thank you. What I was going to say is a lot of their scenes, the passersby didn't even know they were being filmed for it, you know? So that was pretty cool, the way that that was done and the way that um, it played off as a real element of the film. Yeah, that is cool. And I think that does add to the feel of the movie, that kind of documentary-like feel or the the home movie-ish feel. Um, even though it was, I mean, and that's something I think that happens in a lot of indie movies where it was something they did like out of necessity because they couldn't afford the permits or whatever. And it turns out to be a really important element of the style of the movie. Yeah, in this one it was. And um, the only other thing I thought was funny because this was such an Irish thing to say was when Steven Spielberg saw it, he had said, a little movie called Once gave me enough inspiration to last the rest of the year. And John Carney responded, in the end of the day, he's just a guy with a beard. <laughs> Is that your Irish accent? Maybe. Yeah, it was better than your dream girl's uh, singing voice, probably. Well, that I, um, I'll stick to the impressions for you then. Yeah, from now on. thank you. All right, well, we'll come right back and talk a little more about our general thoughts on Once. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. And in this episode of our 2007 season, we're talking about Sundance Award winner Once. And uh, coming up in a little bit, we'll have a special guest, uh, actor and singer Megan Reardon, actor, singer slash our high school classmate who appeared on stage in Ireland in the stage version of Once. So. Good thing you're not writing her resume. That's too long. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not valid for a whole resume. Yeah, that's we can, uh She's going to love this. Uh, <laughs> so as we were saying before, Jason, you you love once, despite having come to it a little later. You're a big fan. I love it, man. I love this movie uh, there. It just works on like every level. And like it's one of those movies like you were saying, maybe it shouldn't work because there's not much of a story, although there is a story. There, there is. I will say like I was. I, I wasn't sure what the story was. I didn't remember, but coming back to it, 
I thought, oh, you know, there is more story than I remember. That there right. Was. And they do certain things that you're not supposed to do in musicals. Like they'll go where she's singing a song, right? So then you think you're going to get the next block of scenes to get to the ne next emotional uh, high, high or low point to get to the next song. But they'll go right from her song, fade to black, right into his song, right? Yeah. You know, and so they do all this stuff. And um, I thought the performances just like, if they were professional actors, I don't think it would have worked as well. This just really hit it on all levels for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to imagine Killian Murphy in this after having read that he was originally cast. And I think that would have been a, just a huge mistake to put him in. Not that he's not a good actor. And apparently he has experience as a singer. I don't know that I've seen him singing in any movies, but, but still, I think the authenticity of it is so important. And even if you don't know that they like that those actors are musicians and that they wrote these songs. I feel like that comes across in the movie. I think so. Um, all that stuff is right. Like if you saw someone recognizable, you wouldn't be because of the way it's shot, you wouldn't be as lost in the whole thing. And the fact that it is so low budget works in its favor. You know, a lot of the stuff they did, like there's that big party scene that was actually Glenn Hansner's um, apartment flat if you will, uh, his mom is in there singing and, you know, they're really, it's just like, Hey kids, let's put on a show that type of feel. Right. Yeah. That, and that very much, uh, comes across and weirdly enough, I think, you know, watching it again now after it's been famous and had become a sensation and is now this highly regarded film in a weird way, it, you still get that sense of these people being unknowns because neither of them went on to acting careers it's not like, oh, now I recognize him from all these other movies he was in. It's still just this one and, thing. And, you know, he's still releasing albums and he's, he's pretty, and maybe not in this country, but he's pretty famous, I'd say, overall. Right. And she's kind of, she hasn't really released anything since the end of this. She lives in Iceland with She's done a few kids. things. Yeah, I was uh, looking, we can talk about later maybe but Ooh, um, challenge no 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 i mean but you're right that 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 they have both kind of especially in the u.s they're not like super famous musicians either i like how it you know did you read what um the interpretation of the title meant i did not okay so they were saying once because you know as we said carney used to be a musician he was talking about all his artist friends who have said once i get this in order then i can focus on my career once i do that then i can get back to you know, doing what I want. And it's all about these um, artists who have let life make it so they can't pursue what they want to pursue. And I feel like, man, you're just rooting so hard for Glenn and girl. This guy and girl, not even, it's, it's not Glenn. Yeah. Yeah. Although, did you see the theory of who that character might be? I always thought that Which was character? interesting. The guy character. Is it not to, to not represent like Glenn Hansard or John Carney? Right. It's not. It is not. Did you ever see The Commitments? Uh, no, I have not seen The Commitments. Uh, I know Glenn Hansard. He has like a small part in that. Yeah. And he's very good in that. Um, well, I don't even remember if he's very good in that, but it's a very good movie. He does have a small part in it. But um, his character, the last scene is um he's not in the band anymore he's out on the street busking oh yeah. and the first scene of this is right. that he's there busking so right. there a lot of people have made that jump that that's the same character yeah. although doesn't the commitments take place in like the 60s i don't remember man <laughs> i think it's the 80s but okay yeah. well even so outspan foster uh that's the name of the character yeah yeah 
I mean, I don't think you need to. One of the good things about this movie is that you don't need to project backstory on these characters, that the movie gives you everything that you need. I mean, there is backstory. And again, there's I think there's more than I had remembered that there was in terms of his relationship with his father and the fact that his mother has died and all that stuff and her having come from the Czech Republic and uh, kind of left her husband, but not really sure how that relationship is going to be. So I think this movie gives you exactly as much as you need to understand them as characters and invest in them as a romance. And also, as you were saying, as these, these artists who need that little push to kind of get themselves to the next level. I kind of love that relationship with the father where it totally maximizes its effectiveness. Maybe it's like three, four scenes, right? They're working together in the, the vacuum repair shop and maybe you see him one other time. and then. Uh, at the end, Guy plays his uh, demo for the dad and, you know, the dad's listening. And and actually, before that, he even brings like the the whole band tea while they're rehearsing and then the right. flat and everything. And, you, you know, they play the demo and, you know, he's this like hardened blue collar guy who's just made it through his life. And, uh, you know, he says, what do you what do you think? And the dad just goes fucking brilliant, you know, and it's like you're rooting for that. Right. Right. And, right. You know, the dad loves him and he's going to go visit him when. Guy moves to London and guy's like, are you going to be all right without me? He's like, I was all right without you for 26 years before you were born. Right. I turned him into Liam Neeson. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been. I have a special set of skills. <laughs> I'm living on my own. <laughs> but no, I think you're absolutely right. And that's the kind of character that in this kind of movie we often expect will be sort of the disapproving dad, you know, will be the working class guy. And he just wants the son to take over the vacuum repair shop and start a family or whatever. But it's the complete opposite of that, that he's so supportive and loving. And yeah, that's really good. I mean, you could even argue that this movie has very little conflict. Almost no conflict. Yeah. I mean, even the romance is so like, there's a moment early on in the movie where a guy kind of makes a pass at the girl and says she could stay over and she rejects him and even even that is so mild. And then they go right from that to being all good with each other and being friends and let's collaborate on music. I, it's, it's just a nice movie. Everyone in this movie is very pleasant. It's again, one of those things where like, oh, what are the rules of movies? Three acts and, you know, this conflict here and that conflict there. And like, oh yeah, what about once? It's like, oh yeah, you can just make a good movie if you have awesome characters and creativity and uh, passion, you know? So, yeah. Um, I agree with you. Uh, even when you have Eamon, the disapproving uh, recording engineer, when they're making their demo, right? Like, he's like, oh, this is going to suck, right? Right. They play the one song for him, and he's like, all right, I'm all in. Let's yeah. go, like, do this for three days straight. And it's like, yes, you're rooting for that. You want you want these guys to succeed. Yeah, so. of course. They're, everyone is so likable in this movie. You, you do want them to succeed. And um, I think it's interesting to me because – the, the handful of negative, I didn't quote any negative reviews, but the handful of negative reviews or, or when people respond to this movie negatively, I feel like it's mostly people who don't like the music. And if you can't buy into this music being great, then I can totally understand how the movie just wouldn't work for you. And what do you guys think? Dave, you're a, you're a musician. You, you wrote, wrote a post about the Tool album recently. <laughs> <laughs> um, Very different from Tool's album, but uh I, this was honestly one of my favorite albums of 2007. So I, I, I love the music in this movie. I think it's just amazing. Yeah, I, I like the music fine. I definitely like listening to the music now 
it's like, oh, this is just kind of Coldplay-ish. It's very pleasant, nice. The music, I feel like, is like the characters. It's pleasant. It's nice. Most of it is a little forgettable. I could buy into the movie making me believe that the music was great in the context of the movie. Would I, like, listen to it over and over on my own? Probably not. Coldplay? Come on, man. Yeah, I don't know about Coldplay. It's Van the Man, buddy. That's Van Morrison all the way. Even... The first song we hear him play is a Van Morrison song. Well, that's a Van Morrison song, but I'm talking about the original song. I think a lot of the original songs sound very Irish of that kind of... I always thought Damien Rice. It reminds me of Damien Rice. Yeah. But but, which I don't really think of as Coldplay-ish, but I don't know. But I I just love the music, though. I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to denigrate it. I guess what I'm saying is that like, for a lot of people, if they can't really be into the music, they can't be into the movie. And my feeling was, I don't love this music, but I still... Again, in the context of the movie, I'm totally on board with it. Yeah, I think they, I do like the music, but just um, you see how passionately they perform it. That also adds to it. And then also the way that you see them build songs together really helps you get behind that and, you know, want uh, and root for it as well. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, one thing I love, and that's something I wanted to mention is, and I love this in, in other movies too, other music related movies where you see the scene of how, how they build the song, how the songwriting process goes. Yeah. And I love seeing that. And I, to me, it was striking that the, when, when they perform Falling Slowly, which is the you know, big song from this movie that everyone knows. That Do you want that's, me to sing it? Please don't. <laughs> um, but that scene is the scene of them essentially writing the song. And right. I thought, how impressive that the major song in the movie is presented in that way. I mean, they didn't necessarily, of course, know that that was the major song, but that's the one that people grabbed onto, even when it was shown in that kind of almost halting way. Well, well, two things about that. One, it's also very early on in the movie. Right. But you would think like the big showpiece might be a little later. Yeah. And two, uh, I did read that Hansard uh, jokingly said after they finished filming that uh, sequence and the Oscar goes to, you know, so, so yeah. I don't know. You you know, when you have a good song, you know, yeah. like, um, well, Dave might not, but yeah. know, it hasn't <laughs> happened yet, but no, I, you know, it's funny. I was writing this script uh, a couple of years ago about comedians and I was trying to figure out how to do the same thing, like craft a joke. How do you show, and, uh, you know, Whiplash does that so well, the development of music and the development of a skill and everything. And uh, it's it's easier when you have music, when you're just like, it's not as cinematic to be like, here's the setup and uh, punchline, no, cross it out, punchline, no, right. cross it out. Right. So, yeah. But I'm with you on that. I like seeing the development of the craft because um, it shows character um, insight as well as you know, the uh, professional abilities of the characters. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the things about this movie is that not only is it a musical where the characters are singing, but the characters themselves are really talented musicians and you get that and that they're talented and they work hard at what they do. They're craftsmen, like you said. Yeah. And I like how Irish a lot of it is. And I'm excited to ask Megan about, you know, kind of what busking means to Dublin and everything. But you know, the idea that he goes up to that street band and he's like, you guys want to do this demo? And he's like, it's kind of soft singer songwriter. And he's like, we only do Thin Lizzy type <laughs> stuff. Well, you know, hey, man, who doesn't love Phil Lyman, right? Yeah. So um, I thought, you know, it had a lot of good uh, little Irish style humor in there. Like he takes his dad's motorcycle and she wants to drive it and he goes, you know, no, he doesn't even know um, that I took it. And she goes, well, then he won't know that I took it either or whatnot. Right. So just uh, just some fun stuff all the way through. 
And then we get, um, you know, to the ending, right? Yeah. Uh, or spoilers, guys. Yeah, so. no, that's fine. Uh, yeah, it's from 2007. And um, man, that ending really works. Like, you know, it does. Yeah. So you want to talk about it? Yeah, well, sure. I mean, you, uh, I think that it, it, like we were saying about all, everything else, it, it thwarts the expectations. It does what you don't think a movie like this would do or a movie in general would do. Right. You think they're going to get together. And at one point, she even tells him that she loves him in her uh, in, in check, check yeah and he doesn't know it and she doesn't bother translating right and we as the audience don't necessarily know that it must we go look it up which we did right we so, did yeah. but not everyone would right so the ending is he's going to go back to his ex that he's been pining over and she's happy that he's coming and then the the girl's uh husband is coming from the czech republic so They'll have their family back together. And are either of them really happy about these situations? I mean, I think they are. And that's what I really like about this movie, that that ending is not, oh, how sad that they didn't get together because they felt obligated to be with these other people. But the ending is that the best thing that happened is that they're both in the relationships they should be in and their relationship making music worked out really well. And I disagree with all of that, which is the beauty of a film, right? Yeah. So, you know, he buys her this piano to like kind of thank her for everything. And he, you know, they were going to get together. They were going to spend a night together. And then she kind of, she ghosted him. Yeah. And uh, so he buys her this piano and, you know, the end we see him like kind of, you know, walking off or to the plane or whatever it is. Right. And she's playing the piano, but she's looking out the window and you kind of, I always felt like she was longing for something different the way that was shot. Yeah. And then what I also love is it ends on like a bus pulling up and you're like, is he on the bus? <laughs> is he coming back to win her over? Well, I don't know. Right. No, I mean, I, I think you can, you can see that maybe they have some wistfulness or some wondering about what could happen, but at the same time, they're still in the right place for themselves. Um, I don't feel like this is a, a, a sad or even bittersweet ending, you know, like something like the before trilogy, which I think this movie has been compared to a lot. Yeah, it is. Um, where those endings, I mean, are, are very effective, but they can be kind of emotionally devastating. Um, I didn't feel that way about this movie. But on the other hand, if they decided to make a sequel, uh, you know, in 2019 or whatever, to have them re-meet after all these years and, and revisit that romance potentially like in the before movies, I would buy it. But at the same time, I also buy that they never were together romantically. And that was still worked out. for them. I think it would be great, especially if it was like, uh, they could really play it off of the real life scenario of like, Hey, you know, we made this record and it, it caught fire. And then we never really did anything together. And now, you know, we're both at different points in our lives and let's try to make a record again and see what happens. Right. Know? We could call it Twice. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> once again. Once again. That's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. One more time. Uh, Not one, as good. Yeah. No, so. I was it. I looking up reviews for this, I noticed how the laziness of headline writers and like, was it once more with feeling? I think oh. was numerous <laughs> headlines of reviews for this movie. Before we close this segment, I want to ask Dave, uh, have you ever done the car test? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Everything I make. Yeah. So they finish the demo and aim in the, uh, engineer says time for the car test he piles the band in the van or the station wagon and he says we hear it here but we got to hear it on the lo-fi speakers of the car and see how it sounds right even this podcast i do that with <laughs> how does how do we sound in the car you guys sound magnificent oh, of course we do of course we do uh 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, we talked a little bit about uh, acting performances, like the fact that they're they're very believable and they're strong as actors, even though they haven't been acting before. I think so, and I think there's probably a lot of improvisation just based on how the dialogue goes. It's like, hey, uh, in this scene, you're going to ask her if she wants to record a demo, and you're going to first say no, but eventually relent. You know, yeah, that type of thing. yeah. So. Yeah, uh, I mean, I would have absolutely believed, even though it didn't happen, that either of these people went on to strong acting careers after this, because I feel like they could have absolutely done that. Um, But they didn't. And that's, like I was saying before, kind of one of the charms of this movie. Um, You know who did go on to a strong acting career? Megan Reardon. Yes. So uh, wonderful segue there. So we've got Megan Reardon uh, waiting for us and we'll come right back and talk to her about her experiences with Once. We're back here at Awesome Movie Year. This is Jason for Once introing a segment. Take a back seat, Josh. Uh, This is exciting. Our old friend Megan Reardon over in Dublin is here. Uh, Hi, Megan. Hi, guys. Hooray. Hooray. And let me tell you a little about Megan, who was kind enough to send me her bio in the smallest font possible. (laughs) Excuse me while I get a magnifying glass. Megan is a graduate of New York University's Tisch School of the Arts. She has a BFA with honors in theater and of Trinity College in Dublin. Um, Is it a master's of philosophy you have? It is. Yeah. Wow. And now we know why you're acting because mm-hmm. the one profession you can find less work in than acting is philosophy um, <laughs> in Irish film and, and theater. She's worked in theater, film, TV, radio in New York and Ireland as a performer, director, producer for over 15 years. Uh, her acclaimed theater company, Making Strange, has had the made shows that have been nominated for Irish Times Theater Awards, which are Ireland's equivalents. Uh, to the Tonys and has had runs in festivals such as Edinburgh in Australia and off Broadway. Um, she's had two shows at the Abbey Theatre, Ireland's national theater, and a co-starring role in an Irish television show that won seven IFTAs, the equivalent to the Emmys in Ireland. That was, uh, we call it Klondike over here. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the, in Ireland. It's, uh, uh, it's, sorry to throw in, it's Dominion Creek is what it's called yes, in the U.S. And thank I you. It's, it's on Acorn TV if you want to watch it. It is on Acorn TV. Yeah, it's called An Klondike here, which is Irish. It's the Irish way to say the Klondike because it was made for the Irish TV, the Irish language TV channel. Yeah. Right on. We're, of course, uh, here to talk to you about your work in Once where you were in the touring production, you performed in Dublin for a long time. You performed in Seoul, correct? Yes, yes, that's right. And um, you played Girl. 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 Yeah. She has no name. Girl has no name. Guy has no name. A couple other characters in the play also have no name. And right now, and we're going to get to once, but I just Mm -hmm. did want to mention that you have a cabaret show in the Dublin Fringe Festival that I'm guessing we're going to see in other places called It's Not About Love, which is kind of your riff on Shakespeare and uh, how horrible love is in general. Uh, correct. Yes and yes. Yeah, it's, it's a riff on uh, why we use Romeo and Juliet as a shorthand for true love uh, when it's about two teenagers and everybody dies. And what does thinking about love as having to have that kind of feeling actually doing to us? Like, that's not a model for anything. And um, I can't answer the question of what it means to the entire world that we do that, but I've started looking at how might that have affected my own life, whether it was conscious or not. 
Cool. Well, let's talk about once. Um, what was your first encounter with the film? How did you first come about knowing the movie? I saw the film. Oh, that's a great question. I, I didn't see it in the theater, but I definitely saw it while I was in Ireland. Uh, I think it could have even been a thing. Oh my God. Did, did I rent it? Did I possibly rent it from like a rent the DVD to watch it? I think I'm, I think I might've, I think that's how far back we're actually going. Um, but I do remember it was, you know, like quite a sensation when it came out here because, uh, it was just so well acclaimed. And then of course, uh, with falling slowly winning the Oscar. Um, but I, and I remember watching it and, and really enjoying kind of the indie-ness of it. Um, and I felt like it really did encapsulate a lot of um, what it felt like to be in Ireland and love music and kind of go, like like the way it's kind of woven into daily life here, the way people just kind of like sing songs at house parties and things like that. Yeah, that was one of the questions I had for you. Can you talk about music as part of uh, an Irish yeah. piece of existence and mm -hmm. also the idea of what busking means over there. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, first of all, Irish as an Irish piece of existence, it's just a thing that it feels like everyone just kind of does in a way that's not about uh, you only do music if you want to pursue music professionally. You know, it's like people just learn songs. There's this tradition here called a party piece, which is the song you sing at 2 a.m. when everyone's hammered. And everyone has one. And, and it can be like a traditional Irish song. It could be a funny song. It could be like something that's current. You can, you can update it. Like you're not locked in for life once you pick your party piece. Um, what is yours? Oh God, I don't know. I mean, the, I, I feel like I don't have one now because I'm like, I do this for a living. I don't want me. I'm off the Mine's clock. The, mine is that song from dream girls. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm not going. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> I want to see it. I want to be there. No, no, you, you really, really, really don't. <laughs> um, and so the, and, and that there's a, the, a tradition when that starts to happen called, uh, the noble call, which is, uh, someone will start and they'll sing their song and then they'll nominate the next person. And then the next person has to do it. And you're kind of not allowed to tap out. Like you need to have something and it doesn't matter. It, it also doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be like singing, singing. It's not that everyone is magically gifted with a great voice but you need to have some sort of thing it could be a poem it could be um a joke it could be a story you know um and and I, I remember being really struck by just how much music is woven into culture here when I first came here in a way that um like all the bars seem to have live music and storytelling seemed to be a big part of it as well so like theater and music and storytelling all kind of seem to be sort of mushed together in in a way so yeah like i know so many people who are so incredibly talented musically but they've never pursued it it's just it's just a big part of the cultural currency i think for a lot of historical reasons a lot of kind of british colonial reasons you know it was like there are a lot of rebel songs. There's a lot of protest songs and, and they're all still kind of in the air in a way, especially with Brexit going on. Let's get oh, into what was it? No, oh, no, let's um, not. What was your other question about? Oh, busking, busking. Um, yeah. Busking is, um, is huge. 
especially right now because we're in the summer and uh when the weather's good you can walk down certain streets and it's a grafted street like at the street that he's on in the film and you know every 20 or 30 feet there'll be someone new and um there's a huge tradition on christmas eve where celebrities come out and busk on grafton street so glenn hansard's usually out on christmas eve or damien rice or bono um i think hosier's done it so it's just it, that that's a big i don't i don't know why as well it just kind of is a big it's, a, it's just kind of an expected thing um it's big in dublin it's really big in galway um and galway they tend to have a lot of street performers as well like a lot of like circus performers or dance or something. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why that's a thing, but it is a thing. I think I love that as a thing. I know Joe Strummer, like one of the last tours he ever did was like, he got a band together and they just started busking all over the country. <laughs> Amazing. Like unannounced and like people would be like, I think Joe Strummer's playing on our street right now, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Um, and it was just, um, you know, for him, a way to get back to what music meant and cut yeah. out all the BS. It's it's definitely a thing that a lot of musicians have said, and I have a lot of friends who've done it, that it is, you get really good really quick because if you're not good, no one's going to listen to you and no one's going to give you money. And it is really direct and you do kind of see what people respond to um, and directly talk to people. And, and um, it's very immediate in a way that, you know, sitting down and maybe recording something or trying to release a single isn't. Have you have you done it? No, no. We only um, we did a couple of busking events for once as promo stuff. Like we did one on Grafton Street where we actually like there is a street performer who uses a piano, like an actual upright piano. So I played that. Um, and we did some events in Korea as well that were supposed to be like busking, but they were very highly produced. They were like set stages kind of at shopping malls or um on the street somewhere and had like mics and stuff um but cool. no so i've, I've never the, done it myself you're saying you were the tiffany of south korea the debbie gibson if you will of the korean world um my internet connection got really weird for a second so i did not hear that question what was that question <laughs> it was it was best that you didn't let's <laughs> move on to something else okay yeah no well uh, we're talking about your work in the musical i mean obviously it was on broadway first it cleaned up yeah won eight awards out of 11 uh how did you first and then it did have um an iteration in ireland before you became involved with it correct yes yeah the west end production basically did their out-of-town tryout in dublin um but i never saw it then i never saw the show before i did it so technically it was in Ireland before the production we we did, but ours was the first Irish company and the first one to actually really prioritize an Irish or Irish-based cast. I was just wondering um, when you heard that it was a show, did you ever think like, oh, well, that would be something that could be awesome if they brought it over here and that I'd want to do? And either either way, how did you come to be involved with the show? Um, I think when I heard it was going to be a musical, I was like, okay, that makes sense because there's so much music in it. But I had sort of forgotten what the plot was. And then it turns out it's because there kind of isn't one in the film. Like, not big on plot. But we'll, we can talk about how that's changed for the stage show a little later. Um, how I became involved with it was I just heard about the audition. My agent told me about it in January of 2015. 
um, I had had, I had no idea that there was going to be an Irish production of it. So it kind of came out of nowhere and it was an incredibly stressful audition process. It went on for months. Um, it was, you know, the, the biggest thing I've done to date, like the most high profile, the most professional, really. I mean, I'm sure that's what auditions are like for Broadway shows is that you do go in multiple times over months and months. Yeah, it was. Yeah, sorry, I'm having flashbacks to how intense it was. <laughs> Clear, so, clearly get me out of it. Are. Get me out. So, get me out. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to hide under your couch or something like that. <laughs> um, did it. you you played girl in yeah. that production? Did you have to have like a Czech accent? I did. Yeah. Well, let's hear a little of that. I knew you were going to ask me to do that. I don't remember the lines well enough to do it. But, um. Um, so uh, did you did you study? I mean, when you knew that you were going to audition or when you knew you were going to be in the film mm -hmm. or in the uh, production, yeah. did you go back and study the film? Or is that something that you tried to kind of stay away from? No, I, I watched the film during the audition process for the accent. Um, but kind of nothing else because the uh the script the, the play adaptation is so different um they, they had to add some plot in basically they needed to make it a little bit more focused so whereas in the film it's just sort of about them kind of hanging around and then you know recording the cd they, they we kind of put some more time pressure on it um but again, like even now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, nope, still not a lot of plot. I mean, they added kind of some subplots about with some minor characters and romantic interests and whatever. Um, so we didn't, we didn't reference the movie too much in rehearsals, really, uh, because the arrangements of the songs are pretty different. I mean, it's a, it's like a, a, ten or twelve piece band. Um, so it's not just, you know, a guy with a guitar. Well, sometimes it's just the guy with the guitar, but then, you know, we've got strings and percussion and bass and everything and accordion and mandolins coming in. So, um, yeah, we never like sat down and watched it in rehearsal. We, we tried to make it its, its, its own thing. And also by the time we as a company were doing it, it had been done uh, a couple other times, you know, with the Broadway run and the West End run, and I think the U.S. national tour. And so the, the director, coming in and, and the associate directors who are doing a lot of the uh, heavy lifting. It's like, they, they know what it is already. And now it's just like our job to find our version of that. It's very different from a lot of other shows I've done. It's almost like a franchise of something that already exists. You know, are you saying you were in the Tony and Tina of, <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> um, no, definitely not. <laughs> Josh and I, just uh, while talking about the film, uh, saw the ending differently. Oh, yeah. Um, did you have any opinions on the ending? Uh, is it happy? Is it sad? What what really happens at the end of that movie? Mm. Well, the ending is basically the same in the film, though. I think the conditions of like the girl of, of his ex-girlfriend not being there are different because in the movie doesn't isn't it like she cheated on him or something? And has moved away um, to London. Is that right? Yes. In the play, right. it's um, <laughs> thank you. Um, in the play, it's not that. It's kind of just like he's sad and can't get his shit together, and she goes to New York, and then he decides he's you know gonna gonna go to her. I found it very. I mean, it's yeah, it's very sad. I I. I oof. 
it's both. I mean, it's like we, we, we talked so much in rehearsal about what is the nature of their relationship. And, you know, it's a love story, but it does, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't end with them together and they can still love each other and he can still love his ex-girlfriend and she can still love her husband. And I don't know, it, it, it was, we also tried to look at it from, from a very, um, like practical perspective in the sense of, uh, where her sensibility might be coming from of, you know, like she has to just do what's right for her daughter and about that life that she wants to have in, in Dublin. I always found it really sad though. You know, there's joy at getting the piano. That's kind of her, her, her true love story is like her and that piano basically. But I don't, I don't know how to answer. It's funny. I haven't thought of it that way in so long. So wait, so one of you thinks it's happy. One of you thinks it's sad. Yeah. I mean, to me, I thought it was a, a happy ending that it's not about them getting together, but mm. rather it's about them being each in the right place for them. It's good yeah. for him to be back with his ex. It's good for her to yeah. be with her husband. Yeah. And it's good for them to have made music together, which is the most important thing about their relationship. Yeah. I agree with that. And I do not. I understand. Yes. Explain. <laughs> I mean, clearly that was, there was something more to their relationship than just a professional connection. Yeah. And I feel like they were um, at different points in time, not either acknowledging it or mm -hmm. just trying to avoid it. And they're both headed back towards relationships that were doomed in the past. Mm -hmm. And um, sooner or later, they'll probably end up doomed again. I agree Such a with bleak perspective, but I agree with both of you. I do. Um, I think also in the play, it's a little bit more explicit of actually, no, maybe that's, that's the same as the film where it's, it's, he kind of like tries a couple times at the end. He's kind of like, is this going to happen? Is it going to happen? It's going to happen. And she keeps saying no. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I suppose it depends on what you're, I, I mean, yeah, it is. If you want it to be a romantic comedy, it's a, it's it fails as a romantic comedy because they don't end up together. But if you do want it to be about a different types of love and different types of experiences that you can have and, and maybe, you know, maybe love doesn't have to take the form of the relationship that lasts forever. So in the film, you know, she was 17 when she made the movie. Oh God, um, that's right. Did you, did you have to play, um, like a teenager? Were you playing a teenager at that point in time? No, 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 no. Um, I mean, girl is meant to be, uh, a young mother, you know, you read fairly young because she in and in the in the play we have the daughters about I think she's meant to be about five um four or five yeah they're not it's not specified what age they are but they weren't trying to like I didn't she doesn't read as 17 in the film to me like she, she seems older I know she is 17 but she seems older um so no we're definitely not trying for like you know teenage ingenue kind of thing but all the girl, like from from every picture I've ever seen, they do seem to read as kind of like mid twenties, late twenties. Yeah, one thing Josh and I were talking about is if this if the movie came out today, would it have struck the same uh, level of support when you kind of look at the romance of a thirty seven year old and a seventeen year old in this political climate? It might, yeah, uh, might might. Uh, it's shelved rather quickly. Yeah, I don't think. Um, I yeah, I I I think that's yeah what the film would become about, and I don't necessarily. I mean, it, yeah, 
I mean, Glenn Hansard knew Marquetta from when she was very young, um, which some people have also found problematic. But I don't. I mean, do they say her age in the film? Do they say she's 17? It's just really what we know of, what we know from reality. Yeah. And, okay. um, yeah, I, I don't honestly think uh, it's really an issue with the movie, I think, as much as the sort of the real world context. Yeah. You don't notice it really while you're watching the film. No, I kind of, when I think when I watched it, I assumed she was like mid-20s, mid to early 20s. Talk about, uh, didn't Glenn ha- uh, Hansard come and play with you guys he one did. night after the show? Uh, not after. He came out and did um, some, uh, he did a song on stage. Um, he did that the second year. He did it the first year too. Yeah, both both years I did it. He came in and saw it, um, and yeah, played uh, a traditional Irish song, the Old Triangle, with us on stage at the curtain call, and we all we all sang it. It was great. Um, John Carney was around both years as well, the director. Um, he didn't come on stage and play though. Though he used to be a musician. He used to play bass in Glenn Hansard's band, The Frames. Right. Uh, which is great, great band. If y'all don't know it. Really so are there any other Irish bands that uh, you want to recommend to oh, our geez. audience Whoa. that they might not know? Um, okay, well, it's going to be a lot of people I personally know. So it's not like Glenn Hansard in the slightest, but um, my good friend Alma has uh, like an electro pop persona called Lux Alma. That's really good. Um, my friend Danny Ford, uh, F-O-R-D-E, has does... Uh, amazing like beautiful acoustic things with strings it's kind of nick drake ish kind of vibe uh there's a punk band that's becoming really popular called fontaine's dc uh they've played on like the late night talk shows in america they're they're like the new sensation now uh, i'm trying to think the electric picnic is happening this weekend i'm trying to think of who is who are the big irish headlines i mean hosier just headlined last night so that's uh, I have a friend. His name is Shane McGowan. You might have heard of him. Oh yeah, I know Shane. Yeah, I think he's gonna. You guys are pals. Well, we go to the same dentist. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true because he doesn't go to a dentist. Uh, um, he's got like three teeth. But yeah. what? Well, so we were talking about Glenn Glenn Hadsard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like he's kind of had some success here, but mm-hmm. he seems so specifically Irish. What is mm-hmm. his kind of um, persona out there at this point? I know he just released. An album last year yeah. and i think he's got one this year like he's got um, is he he's got a good yeah really good album that just came out it's really good like how is he seen in dublin or ireland yeah is he is he still a big deal out there you know what does he mean to the community and all that? yeah he apparently um so um uh, uh an actress i used to live with she did the second year i did once she was she was a housemate um her dad was glenn's tour manager for years and so he was like an old family friend and uh, Glenn apparently p- plays in a pub like every Monday night or something in a pub outside of town. He just like rocks up and like jams. And that's a really Irish thing that that celebrities are kind of left alone to a certain extent. Like they're not sort of like mobbed by people um, like visiting people can be. Remember one time Snoop Dogg was in town and he like walked down Grafton Street and people were going nuts. But like people, like Irish people, like actors and stuff who walk around, people are just really chill about it. So, you know, there's a huge sense of pride about him winning the Oscar and everything. But I think a lot of people, and also because he was 
around in the scene for so long that so many people know him and they're like, oh, it's just Glenn. You know, there's no romanticizing of like, he won an Oscar and oh my God, it's just like, yeah, it's that guy, you know? Do, do you have a favorite song from once, a favorite to perform or a favorite to listen to? Ooh, um, it was always really fun to play When Your Mind's Made Up. It was really challenging because it's in 5-4. So it's like, you really have to like, count a lot it's not challenging to play in terms of the piano of it but it's uh the build of it was is really satisfying in the stage show i can't remember how it is in the film but it, it just starts with piano and guitar and it builds so that the entire orchestra is playing so then there's drums and bass and strings and and the mandolins and the accordions and everything and then it becomes this like wall of sound and then it just cuts out at the end and it's just back to piano and guitar and it's so beautiful and it's so hard to do it was really hard and so it was just more satisfying yeah, so why don't you do a few uh, a little number for that for us okay right now. uh let me just go get a piano sure <laughs> um so at the end of our show we always talk about the legacy mm. of the film mm -hmm. um which obviously this has become a legacy in many forms of media what do yeah. you think the legacy of once is oh that's a good question um I think, well, I think it's it's different people got different things out of it. I mean, different people worked on the film. Um, I'm trying to think of like the legacy of it for like Glenn and Marquetta. Like they, there was um, a documentary made about their subsequent like relationship and touring and the album they made, um, which I haven't seen. And, and now she, I think she lives in Iceland and makes music there or something. So. That's her legacy. Um, John Carney then went on to make Begin Again, which I never saw. And then Sing Street, which is so good. It's so good. There is, if, if, it, if it had not come out in the same year as La La Land, it would have been so huge. It's so good. That was my favorite movie of 2016. I have seen it like four or five times. I fucking love it. Uh, they are making that into a musical. That's It's going to be off-Broadway. I'm sure it'll go to Broadway. Um, are you going to try to play one of the kids? I'm not. No, no, no. There's there's no part for anyone my age in it. Alas. Um but so yeah, so that's that's kind of that that thing. I, and and also John Carney's so you know, that put him on this path to do all this amazing musical stuff. He's doing an Amazon series called Modern Love uh that's got music in it. So he did very well out of that. Um I think the legacy of it is one of the things I love about Ireland and why I keep coming back here and have made work here and want to keep making work here is because of the fact that it really punches above its weight artistically for how small of a country it is. Like the population of the entire Republic of Ireland is like 4 million people. Like that is nothing. Like that is half of the island of Manhattan or something. And the the amazing work that comes out of it is so, uh, I don't know, I just, I think it's, it, it's, it's, I think Once is a great example of that. that it's, it's a small thing and it's a personal thing, but it, it became so resonant and it had this like really broad appeal. Um, so I think the legacy was to really like give a big boost to, to Irish filmmakers thinking like, yeah, we can, we can, do this you know we can make small things and, and have it be recognized um now that being said there hasn't really necessarily been a successor to it um 
in that way. Though, like, um, The Favorite that won a bunch of Oscars last year, that was an Irish production. It didn't film in Ireland, but it was Irish producers and stuff. So I think, I think the, you know, from a strictly professional perspective, not artistic, not cultural, um, you know, the legacy is that people, you know, took Ireland seriously in terms of Academy Awards and things like that. Do you, uh, we're going to let you go, but do you want to recommend either a movie or a TV show that American listeners might not have caught on to yet? uh, That's in Ireland. Like I love the young offenders. That's a a dope movie. Yeah. Uh, Young um, Offenders is great. Do you have anything? Um, yeah, they've you've probably started to hear about Dairy Girls. Uh, it, right. It's really funny. It's really good. Like, wor- like believe the hype. There is also... Now, it was made for... Not the BBC, but a, it's made for, for a British broadcaster, but it's Irish uh, comedians making it. Uh, Sharon Horgan and Ashling B. Ashley's an old friend from college. We're all very proud of her. This show is apparently amazing. I haven't watched it yet. It's called This Way Up. And it is it is like getting like five star reviews. It is apparently like the voice of the generation kind of level of, of comedy and sensitivity. Um, and I think it's on Hulu. I think it's start. I think it's it's definitely coming to an American platform. It's on Showtime out here. So um, all right. Well, thank you, Megan. Uh, we're all so happy for you. And the next time that you're in a stage play based on a movie that we're covering for our <laughs> podcast, we'll be sure to have you back on. I would love that. I look forward to it. I'll, uh, I'll try to talk my way into Sing Street and uh, have you do awesome movie year for, what was it, 2016? I, I'd be way down for that one. Yeah. So, all right. See what uh, I can go do. sing some fun songs on the street. Go sing on the street. Like, sing. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year and our 2007 episode on the Sundance Award winner Once. And we just chatted with Megan Reardon, uh, which was pretty awesome. And we're coming back to talk about the legacy of Once, although we talked a little bit about that with Megan. And of course, she is a big part of it. Yeah. And I think she pretty much nailed it. Like, you know, with so many uh, platforms and such viability uh, and availability around the world, you can watch movies and tv from everywhere and once was one of these things that you might have had to seek out back in the day but now i think it really helped shine a spotlight on irish cinema and in a way irish television so um i love a lot of that stuff like megan was saying like sing street i i mentioned i love and i'm excited uh, you know catastrophe is a te- television show i love so i'm excited to check out uh dairy girls and this way up and uh you know i think otherwise she kind of pretty much summed it up for me as far as the legacy. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we t- she talked a lot about Glenn Hansard's later career. And like we were mentioning earlier, before we talked to, to Megan about Marketa Erglova and how she's off in Iceland now. And she has made a couple albums that sound very Bjorkish? strange. Yeah, ex- really, they do. Like, it's strange and not mainstream at all. Um, she's really, neither of them went on to acting careers, but she really seems to have kind of set herself away from even a mainstream music career. Do you, do either of you know the documentary Megan was talking about, about the Swell about the season? season? I I think I had read that it existed, but I have not seen it. Same here. Um, yeah, I think um, she also, I mean, you mentioned Sing Street, Begin Again is the other big John Carney music movie. And I think to me, Begin Again, you know, we were talking a little bit about how this, how Once works so well, because 
these actors are not well known. Yeah. And Begin Again is sort of like the Hollywoodized version of Once. You know, you've got Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley in it instead. And it's all right. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but I feel like it, it just is kind of a pale imitation of Once. And we've seen that, you know, where an indie filmmaker strikes it big and Hollywood says, do you have something similar you want to do for a bigger budget? And it doesn't turn out as well. But Modern Love could be pretty awesome, I think. Yeah, John Carney is going to be the showrunner on that, an Amazon show based on the New York Times columns. I don't think there's any singing in it, so we'll see how he does without that. He's made other non-musical movies, but those never seem to do anything. I mean, even the title's a song, David Bowie, bro. That's true. Maybe it'll be the theme song, but uh, I don't think it's... It's not a musical series. Um, yeah, the stage... I think we didn't ask Megan. Um, the stage production still, I think... Uh, is performed in various places, even though she's her involvement uh, ended a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's you know it's going to go on and on as revivals and this and that and you know the next generation of once and you know right. it'll just keep going. Man. Yeah, so. and there is definitely influence in movies. We mentioned Blinded by the Light a little. Um, to me, uh, like the new A Star Is Born, especially in what I was talking about, like the construction of a song. There's a lot of that stuff between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga in that movie. I think you can see the influence of once there as well. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we we missed in our previous segment uh, to do our rating. Uh, did you want to rate once yeah. out of uh, blue vacuums that are dragged Ho along Hoover, the street? Hoovers? Yeah. Uh, who, uh, out of five Hoover vacuums that need repairs. I'm giving this five, dude. I yeah. love it. And I watched it the other day, obviously, for in anticipation of this. And I was like, I loved it just as much this time as the first time I saw, it, which, as we've learned in past episodes, is not always the case with films that we are rewatching. Right. Yeah, that's true. I, I think I liked it maybe a little bit more just because my expectations were not quite as big. Um, but I still think it's mostly just a, a nice movie. It doesn't really like move me as much but i would give it three and a half out of five i i definitely like it i mean i would recommend anyone to check it out um it's enjoyable three and a half's good yeah you know, no it is uh, good i i wouldn't yeah i don't want to underrate it it is a good movie if anyone hasn't seen it check it out uh it's very much if you like the before movies or romantic films like that it's uh absolutely worth checking out um yeah, so that's once, and that's this episode of Awesome Movie. Or did you have something? Yeah, we'll close with a song uh, from once. <laughs> no, that we'll all... no, okay, no, so. we will not ever do that. Okay, no, was... no singing of songs all from right. once. Okay, so. uh, no, that's the end of this episode. But uh, you can catch us on social media. You can catch us on social media, and we appreciate all the feedback. And we are at awesomemovieer.com and Awesome Movie Year on the Facebook and the Instagram, and Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I am personally at Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram, and J Harris Comedy on Twitter. Go for Jason is my website, and uh, that's all my socials. All right. I am at joshbellhateseverything.com. I'm at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And check out our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Yeah, you can find Piecing It Together wherever you listen to this podcast. And since we mentioned me being a musician on this episode, instead of plugging my social medias for Piecing It Together, I'll just say check out at ByDavidRosen or ByDavidRosen.com for my music. Listen to his music in the car. Give it the car test. Yeah. Give it uh, the car test. And Megan is at MeganReardon.com. 
I think so. Yes. All right. Let's hope that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> if not, just Google search Megan Reardon. <laughs> she was in the Wikipedia about the stage play. There you go. That's yeah. important. Look for Megan Reardon on Wikipedia. Wikipedia. <laughs> she doesn't have her own page, but she is on that. So. Uh, what do we have coming up next time? Ooh, buddy. We got uh, the complete opposite of once. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> We're going with the Stone Cold Grinder next time. Yeah. Uh, it's the best picture of 2007. The Relentless No Country for Old Men. It is relentless. So tune in for that next time. Thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And all points west. That's not even a song for once. <laughs> <That's not laughs> that shit out. Do not.